Thank you so much. She asked, she said, would, would Marion want to come up? And she said she definitely does not want to come up. <laughs> She's, that's the difference. But this is our first time traveling. We have, a, we have our seven-year-old who's in her pajamas in Children's Church next door. And, um, and we have our three-month-old Vanessa here. Pastor Kate is holding her right now. We'll, we'll see how long she makes it in service. But this is our first time traveling as a family of four. And it has been so far so good. <laughs> We leave at 6.30 tonight, so there's still time. If any of you have kids, there's still time for it to go wrong. <laughs> no, it's not going to go wrong. It's been so great being with you guys. I love the worship here. Like she said, we love worship at Far Flung. We adopted a phrase that we didn't create, but we just took it as something we love. Um, someone once said, missions exist because worship doesn't. So if anybody here is like, I don't think I'm really into missions, but I just love worship. Cool. Well, now you're into missions because we go to Gumbani Village, Africa, and we worship there. And, or we go there and we spread missions there because worship does not exist there, right? So if you are a worshiper and you want to wonder where do you fit in missions, anywhere that there is not worship there is missions needed. One day there will be no missions, but there will always be worship. And so if you are a worshiper and you're like, where, where does that fit with what? People are confused that we're so into worship. They're like, oh, you guys are worship and missions. Oh, that's peculiar. I'm like, oh, it's so odd that we love the Father and that we love to sing to him while we do good things. I don't know why that's not correlated. But if you are a worshiper, um, Missions exist because worship does it. But your worship team is so great. I hate to inform you guys that we bought plane tickets. They're coming back to Chattanooga with us. Um, you guys will find some other singers and, and band. I'm sure it'll be great. But we've had such a great time, like, getting to know your leadership, and Murray and Ash, Kate, and Duncan from Catch the Fire, who heads up this organization. And we love it. That's all I'll do. I was so reluctant. I was so reluctant. Yeah, wasn't, yeah, I'm working on it. This is my first time here. By the time I come here, I'll grow another foot, and I will have the accent down. But we, we've really enjoyed being here, um, as I've insulted maybe with my awful accent. I've been tuning in for a little while as we've kind of been connecting with you guys. And so I know that you just are finishing out this series of Seek First and these four principles for your life, love God, love yourself, love others, joyfully give your life away. And I'm really going to focus on that last one. That is my favorite thing to talk about and to live out. Um, I should say, even though I may not cover the first three very much, you really should do the first three first, right? <laughs> Don't just joyfully give your life away. That's a little reckless if you're not loving God, loving yourself, and loving others, um, and then joyfully give your heart away. Um, I want to um, read this scripture first, Romans 10, 14, and 15. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard of? And how then can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how then can you preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We're going to talk about your feet going some places today and how beautiful that is when they go to the mountaintops. Um, so we, she did such a great job. Ash did such a great job setting up who we are that better than I could do. Um, we do a lot of random things. We are a team of creatives that partner with missionaries around the world. There's so many great missions organizations in the world, and we're not the, the best one. We're not the largest one, um, but we are some of the ones that are going the furthest, the most remote, sometimes the most dangerous. Um, that is our niche, right? We, we were like, when we hear of a place that takes a long time to get there, it's really annoying. Nobody's been there before. We're like, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, you got me. They're like, no, 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 it's awful. It's going to take five days to get there. And there's like 25 people there. We're like, yeah. Right? That is what we wake up in the morning for. And so uh, we, we are very video heavy. That is my background. I plan to go and make movies in Hollywood. And I had never been on a missions trip. And the Lord 
stop me. I parked my car on the way to a college class that I didn't end up even going into because I saw visions of me documenting missionaries and telling their story in a way that hadn't been told before. It rocked me so much that I just started the car back up, went home, and I just wrote ideas down for two weeks. And so here we are. Fast forward, you guys are getting to see uh, where we are 12 years, 13 years after that moment, 12 years into the organization. Um, and this is going to be a little video clip of what Farflung does. the first miracle on this outreach through the salvation of that man and he went with us house to house actually witnessing that moment doesn't just live in the moment that we live in a time where we can capture it in the middle of these mountains in northern thailand just astonished i think something is happening in people's lives because this moment's been captured and shared the largest of the floating islands looking for polar bears seeing the northern lights walking half a mile out on a frozen Arctic Ocean. You feel like you were there. You can feel the moment, the weight of it, the, the call to, to lay your life down. You feel that. How? How do you feel that? Well, God's given us the ability to capture the moment and to share it. And you're tired of living life safe. You're tired of safe Sundays. And these moments illuminate that it can and it should. We're in a different village today. We had several foot injuries, including a young woman that was attacked uh, by a leopard. It is the highest civilization on earth. People literally lined up for over nine hours. We are finding people in the most remote places on earth. We have found ourselves interrupting a pagan parade and we are seeing salvation. They said no one ever goes to their community. We're just hitting the streets, delivering Christmas presents and praying healings. Can you imagine if the body of Christ would not look at missions trips and say, oh God, just keep us safe. God, speak to me. Should I go? Will I be okay? God, protect us. What if we change the conversation so you know what, God, you called me there, and whatever happens, if I knew I was going to die there, I'm still going. We go and we find these missionaries that are superheroes in my eyes, right? They are just champions in the faith, but nobody knows about them. Nobody's heard about them. Their story's not out there, and we get the pleasure of going there, partnering alongside them, telling their story and bringing people to them, bringing support to them, building water towers and feeding programs. We just dump, dump oil and gas and everything on the fire that's already burning there and just highlight these people that nobody has known about. So we go to the Arctic. Uh, it's, it'll be negative 50 degrees sometimes, and we're out on the tundra. We go to the bush of Africa. We go to uh, the slums of Ecuador. We go to the floating islands of Peru, man-made floating islands. Indigenous people that have lived there for 4,000 years that have been pagan up until now, and now they're believers. They were, we, they were inconveniently, which is, it's awesome. They were, we, we were sleeping in our tents this summer on this floating island made of reed, and um, we're just sitting there sleeping at four in the morning, and I just hear this music blaring from their hut. And at, every night at four in the morning, and finally I was like, what, what, can I ask somebody, what's going on? They're like, they worship. You know, you know what I have found? Pagans, ex-pagans, are devoted worshipers, right? Like, it means something to them. And they ask questions, and they are sold, right? And so they're waking us up with this loud music at 4 in the morning, and I was like, this is awesome. I'm not sleeping, but this is awesome. We go 500 miles into the Amazon to visit villages there and work. Um, and we're adding another place every year. And, so, and there's room for you to come along, too. You can go on our website. Um, and we're just a, a team of different people that have different skill sets. Maybe you're like, I'm not a missionary. I don't know what I'll do. What is your skill set? Because by all means, me as a videographer, I've been videoing since I was three years old. Or, sorry, th third grade. Um, <laughs> goodness. Honestly, but my daughter at three has been taking my phone and videoing, so I guess it could have made sense. As a videographer, you don't necessarily think of a missionary head of an organization. 
right? That doesn't seem like the skill set of a missionary. Uh, what is your skill set? Because we have people all over. I talked about all of you that are here for the second service, you kind of missed out on an opportunity that happened in the first service. Uh, the short story is we went to Africa this summer. Our missionary was like, she has a feeding program, and she feeds them rice and lentils and things like that. She said once a year we give them chicken at Christmas. And uh, she, she said, man, we'd love to build a chicken coop. And um, she, ta- she tells us about that. And I said, let's build you a chicken coop. I didn't know how big a chicken coop she was talking about. I thought it was going to be like some chicken wire and some wood. We built a chicken coop for like 250 chickens. And um, so this guy, we prayed for this guy. I'm trying to tell it real quick. But this guy, he, uh, we prayed for him for a job. He gets the job and he wants to thank us. He gives us a rooster. Now we have a place to put the rooster. Some girl from Alabama was like, let's name him Farf, Farflung. So we named the chicken Farf. And um, then we start selling shirts because now the kids get to eat chicken every week. And I said, Celia, how important is that? She said, it's like Christmas every week. So we, we are selling shirts, these long sleeve shirts with a big rooster on it and Christmas lights wrapped around it. This is Farf and it says like Christmas every week. And so every shirt buys 15 chicks that, and then they feed the chicks, take care of the chicks. And then uh, half of those chicks get sold in the village to help people, it buys more chicks and it's sustainable. And so we already had bought, we've already bought 750 chicks from these stupid shirts. And y'all, the, in the first service, sold out of all the shirts that I brought. You bought, you bought 300 chicks this morning. And it hit us over 1,000 chicks that will be fed to kids in Africa and it's sustainable and it keep going. Because we have people that go with just ideas. We are not afraid to fail or look stupid. That is something that you will find in Far Flung. We look stupid often. We try ideas. And we are just never short on, on ideas here in Far Flung. And we've got tons of people, builders and doctors and, and, and writers. We write children's books back there. Because we believe that even though maybe your five-year-old is not going to go to uh, Zimbabwe next week, but do you really think that kids should start thinking about missions when they're able to travel? So we are writing children's books. We have a kid's show where we pretty much turn the Muppets into uh, a missions show. And we're shooting this around the world in negative 25 degrees. Again, we look crazy because we're, we're puppeteering in the Arctic. And people are driving by. Like nobody even comes that are outsiders. And I'm in a giant rhino puppet. I'm telling you, we're a little crazy. And we're inviting you to come along. And we just, it's just so free that you don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to have a certain posture. I don't have to have, I don't have to look like the anointing that I walk in because I can just act like an idiot because it's not my anointing anyway, right? God does all of it. It's actually a little bit more impressive. It's like, look at that fool and look what God does through it. It's definitely God working through that guy in a rhino puppet. But we have so many amazing things um, we don't really, I'm not a master planner and strategist. The staff of Farflung will probably tell you that. But we have such incredible stories because we're willing to just say, all right, Lord, what do you want to do? And we just stumble our way, honestly. We plan our trips to 80%. We schedule at 80% and then we say, all right, God, 20%, you're filling it in. If you want to take more, you can take it. And I, we just kind of magoo our way. Anybody, who, how many of you are old enough to remember the cartoon Mr. Magoo, right? All right, this is how, this is ministry from Kyle Philippi 101. I'm a goo my way through ministry. In this way, I, Mr. Magoo would always be, he was blind, and he would just like have to get to somewhere. He had to get to the doctor's office. And the whole episode, he's walking through construction sites, and he's avoiding danger and cranes. He's going up and down ramps and all this stuff, and he has no clue what's going on around him. And then at the very end, he ends up at the doctor's office, right? That's exactly what happens. I, but we're like going 500 miles into the Amazon and I'm just magooing my way through missions. And then all of a sudden, God, who is the greatest magician and sleight of hand artist of all time, ties it in this neat little bow, right? And, and we're all just part of his magic trick. And it's just so amazing. I'll tell a quick story of, of just how God does this kind of thing. I convinced 53 people to go into the Amazon, <laughs> 53 people from around the world, all of our missionary partners, everybody. We all got there. We sailed on a boat for two days 
to get the 500 miles in, and then we just hit the ground running. We had a medical team working in a village. We had children's team. We had a feeding ministry. We did nightly services. We recorded an album in the middle of the jungle on a boat generator on an extension cord that's duct taped together, and it sounds good somehow, and we're doing all these things. Every day, I got to be on the evangelism team, and what it was, we'd get off the big boat. We'd get in two rickety little boats. One would go downstream, one would go upstream. And we go find people that are in seclusion. I say seclusion. We're 500 miles into the Amazon. And you've got these villages. And then you have people that are like, I'm not about city life. 500 miles into the Amazon village. I want to be living on my own. And we're like, let's go find those people that don't want their neighbors. And so we would get in the boats every day. We get in the boat this one day. And all this is documented. So you can go on YouTube later on and see the actual videos of it. I could show you a million videos. We get in the boat. Every day we bring these gifts for the, the kids and, and, and hand them out. And we get in the boat, and our boat's kind of sinking. And our missionary to Africa, Celia, goes, I believe that God is going to do something different today. It was our last day of evangelism. Well, our boat's sinking, and so we're like, okay, guys, like, either somebody's not going to come or the gifts aren't going to come. So we got rid of the gifts. And we're like, okay, we're somewhat stable. So Celia says, God's going to do something different today. So we opened our ears. We threw the plan out the window. Whatever God wants to do, he's going to do. Sure enough, five minutes going upstream, we see this woman and her 10-year-old and her baby standing on the banks of the river like it's a bus stop. She was actually just dropped off by a boat 150 miles away from town, and she was waiting for someone to pick her up, but they didn't know she was there. So we're like, she's waving us down. We're like, okay, let's go over there. She said, can you take my boy to our village? It's so secluded, nobody will ever find it. And then he will send someone back to come get us. We're like, well, we were going to go up that way, but all right, God says he's going to do something different today, so let's just go with it. By the way, our boat's sinking, so get on in. Let's add another person. He starts directing us, and he starts talking, and, and, the, and the local pastor there, he's like, doesn't know this area, and he's guiding him, and he get there, and the chief sees us, and he was just so confused that there's outsiders. And we sit with the chief, and we said, is there anything we can do? And he's just like stunned seeing us. He said... Four years ago, we were part of a pagan village, and I believed in Christ, and and 60 others believed in Christ, and the Lord told me to take the others. He wasn't a chief at the time. Start a new village in my name, and I will send those to teach you the word of God. And so this village of 60, they leave their village. They go secluded. They're next to the, what they call the virgin jungle. Nobody's ever been in the jungle across from them because you can see the panthers from the, from the river. And so, so secluded. This chief actually met our pastor a year ago in, in town and said, will you please come? We, we need the word of God. Will you come minister to us? And he could never find it, the pastor that's driving the boat. So he said, he's like, will you, will you come? And I said, we have medical. We have food. Like, what do you need? He's like, we just want the word of God. Meanwhile, Meanwhile, we cut over. The other evangelism team that went down, downstream, they show up at this village that has a church. And the chief there is meeting them. He said, missionaries came 50 years ago and asked me to translate the Bible into our native language. I had never seen a Bible in that language. And he wasn't a believer, but he said, I'll do it because you're a nice person. He translated the Bible for him 50 years ago and left him a few of them and still in the saran wrap 50 years ago. And so he was like, okay. So there's nobody here to get saved. You know, he's an evangelist, so he's just like, what do I do with this? And so the chief looked at him. He goes, I'm supposed to give you a Bible today. And he's like, well, okay, I'll go give it to Kyle when we meet up. So he's like, I don't know. He goes, there's people. There's a people group that need this Bible today. I'm going to give it to you. And so Gary's like, oh, okay. So he takes the Bible. Then he goes back to the main boat. I leave the team that, in the village where I'm at that nobody has ever found. I, I come back with the chief to the main boat, and I say, listen, there's a village that has been waiting four years to be taught the word of God, and we're going to bring it. And we had people represented from 13 nations, and we're going to go and dedicate a church today without a building. We're just going to uh, plant it. We're going to have to ferry in six at a time, 53 people into this place because the water's so shallow. And I said, all they want, I said, we offer medical, we offer kids stuff, all this stuff, food. All they want is the word of God. Gary's sitting there holding the Bible in their language. And he was like, you got to be kidding me. So we get there, we dedicate the church in their native language with a brand new Bible. And um, it was just, 
We didn't know any of that, but we were willing to adapt out of our own plans in our life. We were, you know, doing good things for God. Sometimes we're doing great things. We have great assignments, but God has something else. And he couldn't have set all that up, but he just ties it in the nicest, neat little bow to show off at the end. And so I am inviting all of you into that journey. Maybe it's not the Amazon. Maybe you won't be able to go, but you can support in other ways. Some of you, I'm going to be honest, some of you need to start getting along with your coworkers. Like maybe we just start there. Some of you just like are not getting along with family. And in some ways it's harder because like I minister to someone, I get rejected in the village, and then I leave. If you get rejected at work, you still got to work with that person, right? But God is calling all of us out of our comfort zone to do something amazing. I um, am someone who famously loves to get out of their comfort zone, right? And the Lord called me to a place. I watched, this is how we kind of get to these random places. I watched a documentary. I heard about Will Smith was coming out with a documentary that he was narrating called One Strange Rock. It was a series. It was just about earth. And for two minutes, he talked about La Rinconada, the highest uh, city on earth that you can live on, uh, a gold mining town in Peru where it's half the oxygen. And I was just, I couldn't shake it. Nine months later, I'm at a far-flung retreat. I'm listing off all these places that I'm just intrigued by, seeing if it resonates with anyone. And I look over at Gary, the, the guy that got the Bible. He's just this big guy. He used to be part of the power team. Does anybody remember that? So I was just like, this guy... And he's just like, you know, he's my ride or die in missions. We have nothing in common, literally nothing in common, except we want to see souls saved in the corners of the earth. And like, he's my ride or die. I look over as I'm talking about this and he's going, and I went, oh no, we're going. Six weeks later, we're on this train through the Andes, just like what is happening, four of us. One guy who had, had just become saved and had never been out of the country. He's riding a train through the Andes with us, and we don't know what's going to happen. We're not sleeping. We're just riding. And um, I knew it was dangerous. I couldn't find any information. This is the one of the few times there's not a missionary where we're going. The Lord just called us, like, completely, like, with no information. And I knew it was somewhat dangerous. I knew that it was, like, high in elevation. We trained and all that. But as uh, we're on the train, I started, like, talking to some of the locals, and I they said, so what are, you guys, what are you doing here? You're obviously not Peruvian. And uh, my Spanish was not proving that I was Peruvian. And I said, we're going to uh, La Rinconada. Have you ever heard of it? And they're like, <laughs> you know, like in the Westerns when, like, you say something and everybody stops and then, like, the saloon door is like this. And I, they're like, you must not go there. <laughs> I, said, I was like, what? And they're like, no good news comes from La Rinconada. And I was like, <laughs> huh? And so I should have mustered up faith in me and start praying, right? But I acted in the flesh, and I was like, no, I'll get a second opinion. So I was like, hey, have you ever heard of La Rinconada? They're like, oh, yes. And I said, we're going there. They said, you will die. <laughs> and I was like, and I'm not telling the rest of the team this, by the way. <laughs> That's another thing you should know. If there is danger, I'm going to work it out in private. And I'm going to be like, all right, we're, we're working on a couple things. So I'm like secretly freaking out. So I keep asking people instead of praying. I keep asking, thinking if I ask enough people, someone's going to downplay it. Literally everybody's like, they burn you alive there. And I was just like, what have I done? What have I done? So now we're on a taxi ride. I mean, we are like riding every vehicle through Peru. And I have this moment, we're riding in a, in a taxi for three hours, we got one taxi instead of two, because we're idiots, and I'm sitting on the luggage in the back, like I'm on top of the luggage, because there's too many of us, and I'm staring out the window at the car lights behind me, <laughs> whoever was driving behind was probably like, this guy was like stolen, I don't know what was happening, but I'm standing there with my headphones on, everybody's just talking, and I'm having a come to Jesus moment, like a true Okay, let's assess what's about to happen when we get to the top of the world tomorrow at 17,000 feet. And I had to ask myself some really serious questions. Um, I had to first check my ego. And I was like, okay, did I think that I heard from the Lord, but I really wanted to like far flung to check off their list that we've been to the highest city on earth? Because that's kind of cool. Um, and I kept going through. I'm like, okay, all right, all right. And I was like, no, no. I really believe I heard from God. Okay, all right. Next. All right, I heard from God. 
God has called us to this really dangerous place. So that means I'm coming down from the mountain. Um, well, let's, let's go to our, some references, and I look up in the Bible here. Let's see. Okay, John the Baptist, how did his retirement go? <laughs> nope, not a good reference. Okay, uh, well, let's look at Jesus. He's a great example. Um, all right, now let's skip through here. Okay, all right, uh, the disciples, there's 12 of them, surely. Um, oh, hanging upside down. Nope, nope, oh, filleted. Okay, all right, so looks like, it looks like you can be in the Lord's will and you can have a one-way ticket to ministry. It doesn't get preached too often in the States. Um, <laughs> but it turns out that the Lord does want you to prosper, but he also may take you out in ministry. And so um, I was like, okay, all right, all right. So let's, I have, at that time, I had a little girl, I had a wife. Uh, I may be dying on this trip. What do I do with it? Am, well, one, am I still going up the mountain? Yeah, I'm going to go. Okay, so what do I do with it? If I think that I'm, I, I'm like, I'm like, I really, I might die tomorrow. What do I do with that? If I'm going to go either way, and I was reminded of a, of a missionary that I met to Pakistan, and he said he got up in service once, and, and, the, and when he got up to preach, someone leaned over to him, and he said, that guy standing in the back by the door is a leader in the Taliban. Okay, go ahead. Now he was like, okay, and he was like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die in the service. And, they, and he said, okay, what do I do with that? He said, if this is my last time preaching, I'm going all out. Like, I'm going out in a blaze of glory. And I was reminded of what he said. Now, that Taliban member got saved in that service. And so I thought, okay, all right, Lord, if we're going to a place where I don't know if I'm coming down, I am going to give it my absolute all. And so we go up there and we're just like, what, what are we going to do? And I'll show a clip in a little bit of what ended up happening that day. Spoiler alert, I didn't die. I am not under an anointing of like a Mount Carmel experience right now where I've showed up from another realm to tell you. Um, but man, what, that, that would be a crazy message, right? You know, how was your church service today? Well, a guy who's dead spoke. He died three years ago. Pretty awesome. Still don't want to do missions, but it was pretty cool. No, I'll tell you, so it, it ended up going great. But what ends up happening, I've been on over 40 missions trips in the last 12 years, and all of them impact me differently. Like, they, they don't get old. Actually, they've gotten better and better because I've learned to trust in God, and I've learned to operate in different ways. And so, honestly, every trip gets better, and my expectation goes up. I have found um, faith and expectation are kind of synonyms because I have found as we go island to island hopping in Peru that as we operate with no band and no worship and we just literally are just telling the story of Christ without a four-point sermon, we're literally just saying Christ did this and then like the Holy Spirit falls on an island. We're like, what is happening? Wait a second. You don't need my style and my, my great preaching ability, Lord, to move on a pagan village. And so as we really didn't expect much and the Lord, you know, moved, you know, like people were like accepted Christ. And then we got to the next island and we were like, God's going to move and we're just going to tell the story of Christ. And then like people are just crying on a village. We're like, what is happening? And then our expectation and our faith rose up even more. By the time we got to the third one, they're lifting their hands in tears. And we're like, who told them to lift their hands? What is happening? And all of a sudden, it was just our faith was rising and our, the spirit was rising with it. And so what happened up on that mountain, it was, it was my Moses moment for me, right? And I've been back four times now. And it's been awesome. And God has done different things. But none of them has impacted me like the time I thought I was going to die. And I could still die on all those times. But God imprinted something on me today. And I think differently. Even as an organization leader, I view goals and everything very differently. And so my fears changed. I still have fears. But my fears changed that day. Um, I don't fear losing my life anymore. I fear greatly. And I'm not saying you should fear this. Maybe this is just something God's going to work on with me. But my greatest fear is that I will waste it. That I will waste it however many times. I don't know how long I have here. 
I don't know if it's my last trip. Did I soak out the sponge of my life to the greatest extent I could? How much did I leave on the table? I'm human, so I am going to leave some on the table. Did I soak it all out? So I fear wasting my life. I don't fear going to a dangerous place. I fear that my mind will not be tuned into what the Lord wants to do there, and I wasted my time there. I wasted my opportunity there. There's some times where I go to a place, and I'm just not feeling it. Is anyone else here human? And you're just tired. You've been traveling, and honestly, like sometimes people go on trips, and they're not ready for that certain trip, and I'm having to deal with them, and I'm like, all right, let's go pray for someone, and i just not feeling it, and I'm, I don't want to leave that place, and I go, God had something for someone, and he was willing to use me, and I just didn't take advantage of it because I was selfish. I know I'm poking today. I'm very much a poking person because I like to be poked and uncomfortable, um, and not all of us are going to go to a faraway place, but all of us should learn to get comfortable being uncomfortable right? I love, there's a guy named Damon Thompson. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. But I love a quote that he said. He, he says, um, the Lord doesn't want to make you comfortable. He wants to free you from the lie that you were ever comfortable. And he's just brilliant. Look him up. We need to be courageous as Christians. I look up places that are just incredible. Like there are remote places that I'm dying to get into. And I'm like, and they're dangerous. And I keep looking up and I look and I Google and I just, I'm, I search places, right? And then I go to these places in Oceania and I'm like, there's tribes and it's dangerous. And I try to see what missionaries are there and they're all Presbyterian. And, and like, they're, they're people that maybe don't operate fully in the Holy Spirit and embrace that. And then I've got people that I know in my circle that will roll around on the floor but they're afraid to go to the places and they're there not operating in the weapons that the Lord's providing them and they're willing to go. They're courageous. What if us that were filled with the Holy Spirit would actually take the weapons that we have and go, right? We need to be courageous, not reckless, right? Courageous. There is this wild eye that I see in team members when I see them operate under the anointing. I'm sure you've seen it here in services. You've seen it in different places. When someone falls under the anointing, you just see that wild eye on them. It's like, uh-oh. <laughs> Duncan's gone. Right? You know, it's somebody else. It's the Holy Spirit now, right? And then I have found that the Holy Spirit, the anointing that comes on me, is different in places that are more dangerous. They're, it's different in a place where, think about this. I get, people are like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm all over the place. I am just so, I'm just like word vomit right now. <laughs> there are places that we get to go. People are like, thank you so much for, the, for what you do. I'm like, do you realize I have a dream job? Do you realize I, get the, I have the, literally the best job in the world? We get to go places for thousands of years have been pagan where the name Jesus has never been spoken. The Holy Spirit has never moved and has never been welcomed in. And we get to step foot in a place and just utter his name and let the wind blow. Do you understand how crazy that is? I put it this way, and this is a really weird analogy. The best way I can put what my job is, I feel like a time traveler. Okay, so how many of you have seen a time travel movie, Back to the Future, or all the million? The rule of time travel movies, right? You've got a plane of, uh, uh, of time, right? But if you go back and, and to a certain t uh, time and you change something, it becomes a new plane, right? Basic rules of time travel in a movie. <laughs> I'm not a physicist. Okay, I feel like a time traveler because there are villages that I have been to that has been documented for thousands of years have been pagan. You know, 4,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, current day. If I don't go or you don't go, someone doesn't go, it'll be pagan. It will always be pagan. Right? Someone has to bring the gospel. Some people say, well, what if someone's on a, a remote island never, and we never brought the gospel to them? Do they go to, go to heaven? That's not very fair, right? It's a pretty good argument. Well, if that's the argument, then, then don't tell anybody about Jesus, and everybody gets a free pass. 
So that means everyone must go to the ends of the earth or they don't get that opportunity. So we've got this plane of existence where it's pagan, their whole existence for thousands of years. And we get to pop in and we go, Jesus is here to save you. And all of a sudden, they enter a new timeline and their village starts to grow and there's healings and the prosperity and all these things. But it doesn't happen unless someone goes. And so I feel like a time traveler. Courage is not the absence of fear. Go ahead and be afraid. That's fine. Come on a trip with us. Go talk to that coworker. I'm giving you permission to be afraid. Maybe that's not theologically sound, but be afraid, but do it anyways. Right? Being not afraid, it's overrated. I'm afraid a lot of times. You just do it. Nike knows. So there's a quote that says, you can choose courage or you can choose comfort, but you can't choose both. You need to have courage to fail. Ignore Peru for now. Some of you have dreams that the Lord has put in you, and you feel like the God told you something, and you have not made a step. Not like making something work that won't work, but not even taking a step down. Put it in your journal. I've got things, I've got some crazy dreams that the Lord's put on me that I don't have any money for. But you know what? It is mapped out to a T. The day someone decides to give me $10 million, I start that moment, right? But there are things that you could be doing. You could be taking first steps and you're afraid to fail. And that's not something that the Lord put in you. Let's be honest. We are not afraid that, that people will reject Christ. We're afraid that they're going to reject us. Right? There's a, a huge amount of believers in, in the United States that don't attend church. They, don't, they do not believe in church. They didn't reject Christ. They rejected us. Right? We cannot be afraid of rejection. I find... That when I am the most uncomfortable, I hear the Lord the most. That's, and, and, and when I get out of my comfort zone, it's just like what John said. John's ministry is growing, and Jesus comes on the scene, and then his followers are kind of like, hey, uh, you know, some of our followers are going over to Jesus. And he says, I must be less, so he must be more. Right? And so when I'm uncomfortable, when I'm weak, when I'm breathing at 50% oxygen at 17,000 feet, when I've been traveling for long days and there's, and, and there's less of me, it is a gift. Because 10% Kyle and 90% Holy Spirit is so, is, 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 is so much more volume than 90% Kyle, 10% Holy Spirit, right? It goes a lot longer of a way. And so I have found that the Lord speaks to me in the uncomfortable, in the entire, in the, all these things that, that don't feel good. So what I'm saying is lean into those moments. When you want to check out, oh, I don't want to deal with this right now. My kids are being monsters. <laughs> Not that any of you, your kids would do that. But sometimes my kids are, are just like, and I'm just so frustrated and I don't want to be spiritual. And, and I'm tired and I've been traveling and all these things. When, you know, when the Lord tells me to speak to someone on a plane is always when I'm like, want to be by myself. Yeah. Like, to, you know, I'm just like, oh, I don't, I, you know, I'll use the far-flung card somewhere. And they're like, far-flung tin can, what's that? And I'm like, oh, I don't want to share this right now. I'll wear the shirt. I'm like, why did I wear this today? I got to explain something that makes no sense. And that's usually when the Lord can do the most with me. Because he doesn't need my personality and my skill set and all those things. The Lord will do amazing things when we're tired and uncomfortable and doing things that are bigger than us. Because he is much bigger than us. So we went up there. We get in the middle of the square. We didn't have a game plan. Literally, like, we brought a little portable speaker. Gary used to be part of the power team. We're like, well, he's going to break some things and get people's attention. And then he's going to hit him with the word. And our contact that we met 24 hours beforehand, who's from Peru, we're like, hey, set him up. And our translator's part of Far Flung, and he's, like, standing there. And the guy gets up and goes, all right, everybody, 
Again, this is a murderous town where they will burn you alive if you steal. Like, it's just, it is the Wild West without oxygen, right? No laws, no police, sewage running through the streets, mercury and arsenic poisoning. It is atrocious. It is the worst place ever. I love going there. And so he gets up there, and we're like, okay, all right, don't die, don't die. Okay, go ahead, set us up. And he goes, this guy here says he's stronger than any man in this town, and he's going to prove it. <laughs> I look at Jonathan, the translator, I was like, fix it. Fix, just fix that right away. Gary gets up, starts breaking things, and we're going to show a video clip of, of what ended up happening uh, after that moment. At one point, I got on one bullhorn, and Jonathan got on the other bullhorn, and I began to preach. I did an illustrated message using feats of strength in, in order to get their attention. And the first thing I told them when I felt the anointing come on me is, we did not come for your gold. You've been looking for gold for 25 years. You know how to search for it. You know how to look for it. But some days you search for it and you don't find any. But I got a, I got a promise for you today. God make you a promise. If you seek him, if you search for him, you'll find him when you search for him with all your heart. He wants you to seek after him. Just like you look for that goal. But he's got a better guarantee. You'll not waste your days. You'll not waste your time. Because if you'll reach and search for him, you will find him when you search for him with all your heart. After Gary finished his message, we gave an opportunity for any of the people there in the square to get prayer for healing or salvation. Uh, come down, meet us, and we'll pray for you and we had no takers, we just stood there. And finally, after asking and asking, one of the leading miners just said, all right, took his helmet off, came down and said, I want prayer. And from that moment on, everyone just flooded down and said, I want prayer too, I want prayer too. Kind of see the mood has changed just in the past couple hours from um, from an audience that was partially, partially uh, paying attention and bought in, some, some in the background not bought in whatsoever, uh, some snickering over to the, to the other side, to now it's just all eyes on in the center line forming. One person saw the Bible and it just turned into a mob. They're practically pulling them out of my hands. And we're here in La Rinconada. We've been here for about four hours or so. And uh, as you can see behind me, there's a line. And it doesn't look very big right now, but I will tell you that the last four hours, it has stayed that size. Uh, as one goes out of the line, two more come around. <laughs> it's just very, it's very special, it's awesome. Which means that people have continued to come. Um, there has been, I mean, situations of back pain, uh, head pain, um, I mean, even as complicated as, you know, surgeries, not healing for two years. And, um, but, you know, we believe that these people, um, they, some of them don't understand what's happening. And that's what's amazing to me. Literally, they're just coming up knowing nothing of what's happening. And all they know is just that they're hearing the stories of people that are going up to their friends and family. And they're just coming in to see what God is going to do in their lives. And um, it has been honestly one of the most challenging physically uh, situations I've been in when it comes to prayer and healing and, and, and praying over and witnessing. But um, I'm believing that although there's that little bit of the sacrifice, and there's so much more that we can't see. And that all this is all worth it because um, these people, I mean, uh, one of the things that we've been praying over a lot is hopelessness, um, even depression. And we were handing out prayer cloths and people were being healed. One lady testified that she systematically and 
instantaneously. Got healed right there on the spot of her eyes. One gentleman had pain, uh, it was excruciating pain in his feet and in his ankles. So we, I knelt down and Jonathan was touching him and praying, some others in the group were praying. And the man testified that immediately he got healed as well. One lady, I asked her, I said, how did you know we were here praying for people? She said, my friend said there's healing. People are being healed here. These men have come and they're praying for people in the square and they're healing. And she had went and told her friend a couple of hours earlier, she told another friend and another friend. So these people, I'm telling you, one right after the other, after the other. Many people keep coming up to us saying, how much are you charging to heal? And uh, of course it was nothing, but um, they were so desperate for it and, and, and their faith was so strong that they were willing to pay for it. At one point in the middle of a driving rainstorm, uh, we were able to lead 60 miners in the salvation prayer to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. After nine straight hours of ministry, we were wore out. By the end of it, we were sitting and the line was coming to where we sat. The line stayed the same amount. We actually had to leave the people there with a general prayer at the end. You know, when, when God sends you Would to you a place where you got nothing but a big question mark. <clears throat> we ended up praying for nine hours straight, prayed for 800 people, and I have no clue the outcome of what all the Lord did, and we've been back. We've been there four times now. My wife has been there. It's one of my favorite places to go. We went, just this summer we went, even during the pandemic, we met up with a miner. He owns a mine, and we witnessed to him, and one of our, our contact there has been over the phone discipling him for two years. He came running up and hugging me. He said, I've told everyone. I cannot stop telling you, you've changed my life. Um, he just, he gave us all the money he had. He's like, I want to buy you dinner. And we said, no, no, no. He's like, no, please. You have changed my life. We gave him 50 Bibles because we said that the Bible says make disciples of all men. Not make Christians of all men. Deci what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who makes a disciple, right? So we said, go and do what we did for you. So many of us are un unwilling to risk our lives. And when you look at the risk assessment, you're really not risking much. If you really believe in what the Bible says and how long we have in eternity, we're cherishing this sliver of time. It's like we go to the movies to see our favorite Marvel movie, and we're like, oh, I can't give up the, the previews. Not even the previews, the part where it says turn off your cell phones. They were holding on to that cell phone message. Oh, it's so precious to me. It's like the movie hasn't even started yet. And we're, we're clinging on to this sliver. And I don't want to waste it. Peace comes from radical obedience. And some of you only know fear and anxiety and you refuse to be obedient. And the enemy, you know, I like to put it this way. When the enemy starts to paralyze me in fear, because he does that sometimes, I realize when the enemy can't do something, he, he will make you scared. And so when I start getting scared of something stupid, I'm like, oh, it's because he can't do anything. But he'll just paralyze you. If he can't touch you, he'll paralyze you. And you're wanting God to remove the fear in your life so that you can live out your destiny. And God's wanting you to live out your life of destiny despite the fear. And so as we wrap up, Loving God, loving others, loving yourself. We have an opportunity to give our life away. How beautiful are the feet on the mountain that bring good news. I, as, as I prepared for today, I, the, I felt like the Lord told me to do something very odd, which is not unusual. It's odd, but not, not unusual. These are my missions hiking shoes. <laughs> We go to La Rinconada, so it's full of raw sewage, arsenic, mercury, everything. I've only wore these shoes in the highest city on earth, the Amazon jungle, and the bush of Africa. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to wear them, put them on in service, and put arsenic all over your stage. <laughs> they do get washed, but they have never been in my house. They just sit in my garage. But I feel like prophetically... He's telling the church that it's time to take our church shoes off. 
our polished, beautiful church shoes that have never touched, these never touched foreign soil. They just sit in parking lots and they dance around on carpet, right? And that's beautiful. He loves that act of worship. But the church needs to put its hiking boots on. It needs to be afraid to not stand in the filth, in the dirt, in the injustice in the world. And I believe that he's giving an opportunity for you to take your church shoes off this morning and put on your hiking boots. Something that you are afraid to put on in your community and very far away. And he's saying, will you go on an adventure? Will you go on an adventure with me? I promise you, I don't know what that looks like for each of you. I promise you it's better than what you have put together. I promise you. I have, I have no regret that I didn't get to go to Hollywood. I, since I was a little boy, watched movies like Indiana Jones, and I wanted to make movies about great adventures. And I gave it up for the Lord just for him to give me real ones to capture. And it's a beautiful gift as he just neatly ties my life into a little bow as I give it away for him. As you give your life away for something greater, I promise you he exchanges it for something incredible. And so we're going to give an opportunity to pray for anyone that wants to step out and give their life away. Is Izzy in here? I know Izzy's getting ready to go to Mexico on Wednesday. So we're going to give her the opportunity to be the first one and pray over her and send her out. The word I love, I think, you, I think this house knows Lou Engle. Lou Engle! I love him and his word of, you know, he always talks about Igbalo, to be hurled forth. Duncan said to me this morning, he saw a trebuchet that flinging us out, which is what Igbalo is. It means to be hurled with force. Yes, a great ball of fire. Do you know what, the, you know what makes a trebuchet a trebuchet? It has a counterweight. It's the weight of his presence. It's balanced with the Lord. And the greater the weight, the further you're propelled. If that is you, I'm not saying you have to go with us to Africa. You are welcome to come. But stepping out of your comfort zone is for everyone. And if you want us to agree with you in prayer and help send you out and out of your comfort zone to give your life away, there's room down here now. Do you want to come?